think on who could get a hold of you. Yes. Who, who could get a hold of you right now if need be? I mean, who has, yes? Okay. All right. All right. Very good. Uh, literally anybody on the internet could get a hold of you. Okay. Um, I mean, well, it didn't, whatever avenue. I mean, right this moment, would somebody know that you're here, that you're at Wolfson House? Yes. They could call your Apple Watch or they, you know. Um, not everybody has your cell phone number. Could a student get a hold of you right now directly? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, okay. All right. My, my <clears throat> anybody in my family knows where I am located physically right now. They could not call me uh, at this moment. Uh, they could text me, but there's no, you know, guarantee that I will see that. Um, and in fact, if I put my phone over here and plug it in, then I've got my iPad on airplane mode, and so nobody could reach me electronically. And um, so somebody would have to come track me down. And not everybody that knows me has your numbers, though. But this um, is still in theory, right? Like, you could just run down the street really quick and get hit by a bus. So, like. Well, okay. But I mean, <laughs> there are times that we lose track of people. However, However, in general, you know, my family, for instance, knows that I'm here. My mother knows that I'm sitting here. Uh, my mommy um, knows. And, uh, yeah, Jesus knows. Okay, all right. Uh, and uh, so, um, anyway, uh, why is it important for people to be able to Know where you are. Obviously, an emergency. Okay. There's a weather event. Um, maybe you're supposed to be home at 10 o'clock. Yeah, right. 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 Yeah, you ever think back before cell phones that, that uh, well, was kind of. Yeah, it, it goes way beyond the transactional, doesn't right. it? I mean, uh, and, and I think in a single situation, it's different than in a family. Somebody doesn't come home at whatever time at night or right what's going on. Yeah. I think the same thing. Even more important, if you're single, you better be checking with each other. And, yes. But, um, safety. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You're checking in on. Yeah, it's it's a form of care. Uh, Laura, what? <laughs> this is why I have raise my hand. I was going to say, taking what Kara said was kind of along the lines of what I was thinking. It's important that someone knows where you're at because that means that someone cares enough to know where you're at. You know, I, I'm glad that y'all went there because um, in 1999, 
I went on a trip to Turkey. And um, it, was a, it was a mission trip, and there had been an earthquake, and we were providing some relief, feeding people in tent uh, cities and so forth. And one night I went walking in this tent city, and it was one evening, uh, just as the sun was beginning to set. And I just happened upon this tent that was a very welcoming place, and they invited me in, and we had some tea and so forth. But I, they didn't speak a word of English, and I didn't speak a word of Turkish. And um, it was it was kind of really kind of pleasant at first. It was really interesting. But as the night wore on and it got dark, I started to feel kind of claustrophobic. Uh, like because I, I could not communicate with these folks and it was very laborious to try to do hand motions and all that to you know you know both ways and then I left there and I really was disoriented I couldn't find exactly uh, the pathway back to my tent which was quite far away and I wandered around for um, I don't know, 45 minutes or so. And the more I did that, the more alone I began to feel. And I thought, and, and my, I did have a cell phone that didn't work um, because it was in another country and it was more problematic at that time. It was after all, 1999. Um, and so I, I began to feel completely alone. And I mean, completely alone. No English anywhere to be found. Couldn't understand anybody. And, and then I thought to myself, my family doesn't even know exactly where I am. They know that I'm in Turkey, but they don't have a clue as to where I am. My kids don't know. My parents don't know. Nobody knows. And um, my, my group that I came over here with doesn't know where I am, and I, I felt um, kind of, I mean, claustrophobic is the closest uh, kind of way that I can describe that. Um, and, I, you know, we could say, well, in the perfect ending to the story, of course, would be, and then I saw a flower blooming, and I realized God knew where I was, uh, but I didn't see any flowers blooming, and I don't think I would have thought that anyway uh, if I had. And, um, and so I just felt alone, end of story. And so, and then I finally got back and I can't remember how I got back, but, um, but I did. But it was, it was a, it was kind of frightening. It was bordering on um, a, a little bit of fear there. But I, I wonder if that is the kind of disorientation that uh, any of us would feel at any time when we really do feel cut off from people. Um, and so uh, a, there is a, a, a late um, philosopher that I've quoted before and, and uh, his writings have had a profound impact on my life, Dallas Willard who says that joy uh, is actually an all-pervasive sense of well-being. And that's the way he defined joy. 
an all-pervasive, just a, a thoroughgoing, all-encompassing, an all-pervasive sense of well-being. Um, and at first it sounds like it really doesn't fit uh, the word joy. But I think it's worth reflecting on because um, I, the more that I have thought about this definition, the more that I can see it lining up with, with how Jesus actually lived. And then following Jesus, how Paul, who speaks of joy, uh, and some of the other uh, apostles in the New Testament actually lived. Um, and so let's let's uh, let's take this phrase, an all pervasive sense of well being, and put it another way. It is the sense. I want you to consider the possibility that joy may be the sense, the understanding that God has not lost track of you, okay? Uh, so, so all of a sudden, the questions that you've discussed at your tables, let's, let's make the leap now. Who knows where you are? And, and we would hope that there are some family members and some friends that know where we are. Um, when I was growing up, there was a, um, right before the 10 o'clock news, every night on one of the local stations from here in San Antonio, uh, this was very early in my life, but I remember this, it, it, it would say, it's 10 o'clock, do you know where your children are? Um, has anybody ever heard that on a TV station? Okay, yeah. And that would sound so weird today to hear something like that. It's 10 o'clock. Do you know where your children are? And uh, is that what it was? Was on KENS? I, I don't know. Um, oh, was it a national kind of initiative? Um, and and so I need to. I would like to read more about the history of that. But um, but we. Do, who knows where you are? And and so if we. If we could um, begin to be convinced that God actually knows where we are, and I don't mean just where in physical time and space, but I also mean where we are emotionally in emotional space, where we are in relational space, um, and you know, where we are in reality, including physical reality. I think we have the sense that um, God ought to know that because, after all, He's God. I think we, we are convinced of the idea, that the idea exists, that God knows where we are. But are we actually convinced that God knows where we are? Not just in a conceptual sense, but in reality, that God knows where we are. Because think about this. There are times that we feel lost, that we feel at a loss, or that we feel like we're not understood. But if we are convinced 
the, the, let me put it this way. The more, to the greater degree that we are convinced that God knows where we are, we will begin to understand that we are not cut off. We are not completely at a loss because God knows where we are. And God understands what is happening to us. This was the, I mean, this was the domain of a lot of the Old Testament writers. Especially in the Psalms. You'll get these, you'll get these Old Testament writers in the Psalms that say, where are you? Um, people, in, in fact, they'll, they'll go so far as to say, people are getting away with murder. And it's, it looks like you don't care. Uh, in one of the Psalms, the psalmist goes so far as to say, um, well, finally, finally, you woke up like somebody has, somebody wakes up from a three day drinking binge. That's, that's there, and they're talking to God. Finally, you are roused like a drunk is roused after a drinking binge. Um, have you, I, I don't know if you've ever prayed that way to God. Um, if, if you've found some things actually finally moving forward in your life and you say to God, well, it's about time, have you been drinking? Um, but this is essentially how the psalmist speaks uh, about God. So y'all, it's a little side note here. Don't be afraid to speak everyday language like you would speak in traffic to God, okay? Because this is how people through the, throughout the Bible spoke to God. His, his poor little virgin ears can take it. They, they really can. Um, and you only have to think a second about that before you realize that it's true. Should you be on your best behavior around God? I think that question answers itself. I mean, really. Um, so, okay. But it, this was the domain of the, of the Old Testament writers. People are getting away with things. Where are you? Are you asleep? Have you been drinking? Uh, are you, um, it was it something I said, you know? Do you know where we are? Do you know where I am? There is no joy uh, when that, when, when you believe at some level that God has lost track of you. There is no joy. Now, there is something called the economy of God. In physics, for instance, we have uh, a, a, the economy of energy and matter, which says nothing, neither one of those things is ever lost. Um, it is conserved, okay? Um, it is not destroyed or created, it is converted to one or the other. And in God's economy, uh, 
there is nothing. It, this is the witness of the, of the scriptures. Whether we, I'm not saying we all believe this, uh, because you know that's that's up to wherever we happen to land at any particular time. But the witness of scripture is that that nothing is ever lost to God. That that there that He knows where everything is and He's paying attention. And so, you know what one of Jesus' favorite phrases was for um, the age to come? You know when we think of you know the end of time or, or whatever it is. You know what you know what he called it? He called it the renewal of all things. The renewal of all things. Um, the renewal of all things? What? Um, I want you to talk at your tables just for a couple minutes about what that phrase, how that phrase strikes you, and what you, what you think about it, okay? Uh, what does it mean? So talk about that phrase, the renewal of all things, go.
Your brain is being massaged. The remnant of all things. What, uh, what do you think about that phrase, the renewal of all things? The renewal of all things. What? Do you, what? what uh, what's that again? A rebirth. A rebirth. Yeah. Regaining. Yeah. Any other any other thoughts there? Rebirth? Regaining? saves everything. He does. So you're saying that quality of godly? Oh, uh, I guess the rope. Oh, my word. I, I'm not saying he... We do it in the, in the godly way. But it, it is an echo of what God does. It is an echo. Um, I, I, and, and it's a twist. You know, hoarding now is a twist. Uh, on that, a very, very destructive twist. But, but God, he, do, he doesn't just say, you know what? This is, you're just a bunch of screw-ups. Forget it, uh, and I'm going to start over. Um, he doesn't do that. Uh, the, the mangled, tortured, broken body of his son um, he resurrected. Okay, resurrection itself is is key uh, for all of us. But the resurrection of all of creation, the renewal of all things, Jesus says, 
Um, I, I'm just telling you, y'all, there is a um, thread that runs through all of what God is that, that we have only begun to pull at. And we're going to have to really follow this thread. That there are things that you think are irretrievably lost and they are not. They are not. Irreparably broken. They are not. They're not beyond repair. They're not beyond finding. Um, God is a pack rat in that sense. And he knows where everything is. Including you but also the things that are important to you. He knows where they are. Um, and <clears throat> this, this is, uh, we're going to talk more about Jesus uh, living this out, and you're going to see this lived out in just a second. But the book of Ecclesiastes, which I love, and if you're sad, or if you're melancholy, or if you are fed up, you need to read Ecclesiastes because it says, you've got a friend in me, you know? And uh, I know, yeah. Uh, but, but Ecclesiastes says, you know, it all sucks. Uh, that's the paraphrase. Um, it actually says thing, things are so empty, you know, the things people try to hold on to, the things people try to, to put in place of, <laughs> Uh, you know, they, they think that they've lost, they've irretrievably lost something, so they try to prop up these fantasies, you know, or whatever. And it's just, it doesn't matter. And it, it just is so depressing. That's, and then the writer goes on from there. But um, it says, the book of Ecclesi Ecclesiastes says, and I love this, the end of a matter you know this? The end of a matter is what? Better than its beginning. Yes. Don't ever forget that Ecclesiastes says that. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Um, in other words, God hasn't lost track. Uh, this is not all there is. Um, you can expect more. And better. You can't. And you won't be disappointed. You won't be ashamed for having believed that. You won't. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I know what a world of hurt I'm in right now. But I'm not going to end up bereft of everything. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Let's take John 9. John 9 what a beautiful story. What a kind of confusing story, actually. The man born blind. And the disciples asked Jesus, okay, how did this man end up in this way? Have you ever looked at somebody, or have you ever looked at yourself and said, how did things get here? How did, they, how did it end up this way? I've done that a million times, y'all. Um, 
I remember a heartbreak in our family a few years ago. And I just over and over said, how did it end up like this? Now, first of all, what is behind, what thinking is behind that question? How did things end up this way? And I want you to think about that question. What, what is, and, and you know, you've asked that question before in various forms. What kind of thinking is behind that question? And I'm not, I'm not asking for you to, to bash on you know, that thinking. I'm just asking what kind of thinking is behind that question? What prompts you to ask a question like that? Seriously. Are you like shattered expectations? Shattered expectations. Yeah. Yeah. How did it get here? afraid of bad things. Seriously. I'm really asking. I think for myself I'm afraid of bad things because to me that means that if bad things happen then I've done wrong. And I was not saved to do wrong, I was saved to do right. Okay, it's but you so, so you do, okay, but, but you do wrong, shattered expectations, pieces lying all around. Why is that what does that say to you? It says that I believe that, that, that my my belief about myself is that I need to live up to a standard, and I I've not. You've not failed. The end. Thank you. Thank you, for you failed. The end. The pieces are broken. The end. I did the worst that I could have. The worst. The end. Period. Full stop. That's the kind of thinking that's behind a question like that. And that's what these disciples asked. How did he get here? End, stop, no more. And Jesus said, you, you remember how Jesus responded to that? He, in fact, they said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And, and I just boiled it all down to, how did he get here? How did he get to this end point? This end point. You, you remember what Jesus said? I'll tell you the paraphrase of what he said. He said, it's not an end point. It's a beginning point. What? He said, Nobody sinned. This isn't, he said, he literally said that. He said, this, this man or his parents or whoever, nobody sinned and it ended up here. He said, this is a portal. This happened that you might see the glory of God pouring through this. This is a, this is a beginning. Um, it, he didn't end up here, Jesus said. He's beginning here. Now, don't confuse that with the old trope. This is the first day of the rest of your life. All you need to do is adjust your thinking. Just turn your hat around, you know. 
This is the first day of the rest of your life. Why? Because even that, I mean, that may, it's better than saying this is the last day of my life. Uh, it, it, it's you know, better to say it's the first day of the rest of your life, but it doesn't take into account where your life is going. Uh, you're still afraid of the end, you know? It's not a perspective that's in question here. It is the opening of a way that's in question here. Um, this is jo this is joy um, lived out. This is this is Jesus living in joy. He was able to look at a man born blind who is a beggar, and he's able to say, "This is." This is the beginning of a new thing. Um, and of course, Jesus healed this man in order to demonstrate that. He, he brought sight to this man and it was a sign that, that things are not at an end point, they're at a beginning point. <clears throat> the scriptures say, for the joy set before him he endured the cross, speaking of Jesus. What Jesus saw was that even though this, there was much pain and suffering ahead, that God would not lose track and there would be a renewal of all things. It was not the end. He was seeing what was beyond that moment. And, and Jesus even, perhaps, I, I don't know, I mean, we, we don't know how limited Jesus was in his days on earth um, in some regards. I mean, we know he had the capability of being surprised, so there was a, a limiting factor in that he grew in wisdom and knowledge. So um, even though he was God and is God, um, but it's unclear then as to whether, I mean, Jesus spoke of his own resurrection, but it was perhaps murky or cloudy. You know, he didn't have that experience yet, but he knew that there was life ahead. He knew that there was life ahead. So... <clears throat> For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Joy says, this is the beginning, and this moment has come that we might see the glory of God. That we might see the glory of God. Joy is how Jesus sees reality. He knows that God has not lost track of him. This is what Jesus knew. That God had not. Now, Jesus said on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even Jesus had these moments, y'all. So, you're going to, you and I will have these moments. But let me just tell you that was not the last word from the cross. The last word was, You see me, you take me. He said, Into your hands I commit. I commit my spirit. You know where I am. You take me. So, uh, joy, that's joy. 
an all-pervasive sense of well-being. It can happen in a dying breath on a cross, in a suffering breath. Joy. So yes, joy is sustainable. Now, from a practical standpoint, we are the conduits of joy for others, and especially in this, in this fellowship. So let me ask you, it's important that you know who your community is. And these are, these are questions that we need to process. First of all, who is tracking you? And I didn't say who is stalking you. I said who is tracking you? Do you know who your community is? Do you know? Are you convinced someone is keeping track of you? Are you convinced? Are you talking about friends, family, people like that? Neighbors? Yep. That's why all of the above. People are always wanting to know where you're at. Well, I, you know, I mean, people can be really crappy pests. Uh, so, you know, I'm not talking about that necessarily. I'm talking about is somebody, if you, the Bible says even in laughter, the heart may ache, which is, by the way, one of my favorite verses. Is that like fake laughter? No. Like, no, not fake. No. Not fake. But even in laughter, you can laugh sincerely and still have a pain in your heart. What I'm talking about is, is somebody tracking you intimately enough to know where you, to know where you hurt or where you're weak. I don't mean, you weren't there last night, where were you? I don't mean that. Who is tracking you? And are you <clears throat> inviting that? It's hard, y'all, because then you have to be vulnerable and you have to be weak. It, vulnerable is such a tender, dear, sweet word. You know, we all like to be vulnerable, you know, to some degree. But we don't like to be weak. But it's really, it's the difference between mercy and pity. Uh, we, wanna, we don't want people to have mercy on us, but we don't want to be pitied. But I say to you, bull feces. Um, we, you need pity. We've turned pity into... A despicable word. But the Lord had pity on us. And He wasn't condescending. He was loving. In the same way with vulnerability versus weakness, I mean, I can be vulnerable by talking about you know, 
how sometimes I, um, you know, get cross with my wife. Oh, he's so vulnerable. He doesn't have the perfect marriage. Oh, that doesn't cost me anything. But, you know, when I, when I am, when I actually am weak, and you see that in me, you know, we're the last people to be self-aware often of weakness. And, you know, each of us. But when you see that in me, and when, and when I, you know, and, and when we may enter into a conversation, um, and we get close enough for you to say, yeah, that, I was surprised at that, or, or you, you know, I saw that weakness in you, and I, I, I'm afraid because I'm afraid you, you've, uh, you won't like me anymore. And then you say, and I, I know what that struggle's like. And I, I go, oh, so you're not, I, I see you, Kevin, hang on just a second. Um, I, I say, oh, so we really are friends. And you say, yeah, we are. I mean, when conversations get to that point, y'all, it is, it's, it's joyous. Because you have a place to live then. You have a place to breathe. You don't have to watch yourself. So who is tracking you? Are you inviting that? And who are you tracking? Who are you tracking? Are you losing track of some people? And I don't mean you have to track everybody. You can't. That's friendship is exclusive. It is by its very nature. Because that's, you know. But if there is an atmosphere of friendship that grows in a place where friendships can take root, there will be some people that you have the opportunity to say, I see you. I see you. Who are you tracking? Because well-being is not possible all alone. It's not. There is no well-being outside of community. This is what I think our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters mean when they say there is no salvation outside the church. And, and we react and we go, well, uh, the church doesn't save you, Jesus Christ saved you. They're not saying he doesn't save. They're just saying you don't experience Christ if you're not in community. Kevin, what were you going to say? Well, if you think of it, let me know. They're also being vulnerable. A lot of times we think it's just a sign of weakness, but I think it can be also a sign of strength that you're willing to put yourself on the line with somebody close to let your innermost thoughts, feelings 
out there. Of course. Trusting that they will embrace that. Yeah. And encompass that, and also maybe it'll make them feel much a special closeness to you, and they might reciprocate by being vulnerable too to you to open up their heart, and they may not open up. That's right. That's right. Yes. Indeed. Indeed. Um, this is the beginning and somebody needs to tell you that on a regular basis and you need to tell somebody that on a regular basis it's not the end it's the beginning the end of a matter is better than its beginning so it's going somewhere God is saving all the pieces that are flying apart and he's putting it all back together and you're going to love it. And it's called the renewal of all things. And we'll get to see that together. That's joy. It's how Jesus saw reality. the all-pervasive sense of well-being. Julian of Norwich, back in the Middle Ages, said, all, will, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And she was exactly right. Um, so let's pray uh, for one another in that spirit and we will call it a night, okay?